Each and every episode of the Manic Metal Show is brought to you by The Faction Radio. Download the app to your Apple or Android device for free and get involved with the best music from around the world. What more do you want, you fucking Muppets? Crank it loud, bang your head, and join the faction today. Fucking metal as fuck, dude! Hello friends, welcome to episode one of the Manic Metal Show. I do a lot of interviews for the Faction Radio, and once they've aired a few times, new interviews come up, and those ones get pushed to the side, and a lot of the times they're gone. So what I'm doing now is releasing these interviews as a separate part of the podcast called the Manic Metal Show, where it'll all be talking metal with metalheads from metal bands, metal, 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 metal. You get the drift. So what a way to kick shit off with Scott Ian from motherfucking Anthrax, one of the best bands in the world. If you told my 18-year-old self that I'd be talking to Scott Ian, I would have punched you fair in the dick. I can't believe that we chatted and it was awesome. Scott's promoting his Spoken Word Tour, which is hitting Australia very soon. So we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about stand-up. We talked about Anthrax, all sorts of shit. It's a wicked interview and Scott's a really rad dude. To round the interview off, we've got Brisbane metal legends Minus Life and a double dose of Scots. I talked to Scott Moss, lead vocalist for Minus Life. They're a band that I got into when I was very young in the scene. And Scott's a really good dude, man. He pulled me aside when I was really young, gave me a lot of advice, and it really made an impact on me as a young metalhead. So please, guys, enjoy this. Scott Ian from fucking Anthrax. Scott Moss from Minus Life. And in between the two interviews, we've got Bodies on Fire, a classic track from Minus Life. If you don't dig it, well, there's something wrong with your head. Enjoy the first episode of the Manic Metal Show, brought to you by the Faction Radio. I'm here with Scott Ian from Anthrax, and we're chatting today ahead of your one-man riot spoken word tour in Australia, which is kicking off in September. Yeah. So how are you looking forward to that, man? Uh, dude, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I get to come to Australia <laughs> and uh, and uh, tell my ridiculous stories uh, to um, people who have a very good sense of humor. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Well, that's one thing we've definitely got in spades here is uh, we're not very easily offended. So whatever you've got to say, we're ready to hear it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I, when, when, I had the, uh, when I got the offer about you want to come and do some talking shows in Australia, it, it wasn't a very hard decision to say yes. I mean, you've been doing these spoken word shows for a number of years now, and this has got to be a really different experience to, say, you know, the big four reunion shows you were doing with Metallica, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's different and it's the same because, I mean, I am on stage and I'm performing, but, you know, I don't have, I don't have a band to fall back on. I don't have a guitar, uh, you know, to stand behind. It's just me and a microphone and that's it. You know, there's, there's nothing else. All the responsibility is on me, but I, and I have no problem with that. I actually embrace it. Um, I love getting to do these shows. It's, Look, if I didn't like it, I, I wouldn't have, I would have stopped doing them. <laughs> After the first one, I would have said, oh, you know, right, I did one, I was curious, but it's not for me. It was the opposite uh, reaction uh, to that. I, I couldn't wait to do more. Interesting you say that, because I started out playing in metal bands and then went on to become a comedian, and the most common comment that I get from musicians is, oh, I don't mind being up there in front of thousands of people, but the thought of being up there with nothing but a microphone terrifies me. And were you nervous at all before you first started doing these? 
only the first ever show I did, which was a a, a show in London. Uh, I want to say back in probably 2012, and uh, I think I can't remember exactly. But uh, the first time I ever did it, it wasn't something that I, I was actually proactively out there looking for. It 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 just fell in my lap. I got an offer to come to London and do this show called like rock stars say the craziest things. It was, it had some kind of name like that. Yeah. And over a series of weeks at this venue, they had different people, uh, weekly like Duff from guns and roses, I think did one. And anyway, they asked if I wanted to come do it. And I said to my manager, I was like, uh, I don't understand. They, they think I'm going to show up like with a guitar and sing songs. I, I'm not the singer. And he's like, no dummy. It's, <laughs> they want you to come tell stories. I said, oh, and look, I was just curious enough at the time where I was like, you know what, uh, I, I'll try that. And uh, I basically spent five months not working on it at all. That's good. <laughs> yeah. A month would go by and I'd say, oh, man, I, I got that show coming up in London. I, I better start thinking about what I'm going to do. And another month would go by and I, I, I wouldn't do anything. And it ends up it's the night before the show. And I'm in a hotel room with my wife in London, and I'm about to call my agent to have him cancel for me Shit. to say, Scott's sick. Scott's sick. He can't do it. <laughs> and because we were starting, Anthrax was starting a tour the next day after that. So I, I figured we could get out of this easy, easy. Just say I'm not feeling well, and we can't risk having to cancel a show on the Anthrax tour. And, and really, who cares? Because nobody's ever seen me do this show, including me. So nobody <laughs> even knows what they're they'd be missing. So you can't even be bummed out. Because, <laughs> well, I, I don't even know what this show is going to be. And my wife says, you're not canceling. There's no way you're not canceling. You can do this. You could do this. And, uh, I was like, all right, fine, fine, fine. But then that next day, it was like that five minutes before I was walking on stage. I was so unbelievably nervous and I have no problem getting on stage in front of people, not even just with my guitar. I have no problem public speaking. I, none of that makes me nervous, but this was just because I was expected to entertain. Like yeah. I, I'm supposed to get on stage now and tell some stories from my life that I've told my friends hanging out in a bar, having a drink and that's fine. But my friends aren't paying money, you know, to, to and expecting to be entertained. My, my friends aren't judging me. They're not the London press coming to a show who are going to review me. Like it just, this was something I'd never done before. And when I walked out on stage, I mean, my hand holding the microphone, it was visibly shaking. Like that's how nervous I was. And it, it was, it, it took, it took the first couple of laughs when people actually laughed in the right places as I'm telling a story. And, you know, in my brain, I'm having this inner monologue of, Oh, okay. They, they like this. They seem to be, Oh, you're cool. You, you, you seem to be doing okay here. And within another five minutes, all the nerves kind of drained out of my body. And I, I ended up talking for two and a half hours and seriously had some, like the most fun experience I had ever had on stage. It was, it blew my mind how much fun I had. And, and that's when I said to my agent, I, I got to do more of this. So your first ever experience doing this, you went for two and a half hours. That's insane. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I kept going. Like I, I, it, it could have went even longer, but I like at some point I realized how long it had been, and and I'm thinking, all right, that I mean that seems long enough. It felt like I was like my wife told me, 
just get on stage and pretend you're in the bar with your friends. And that's literally what it turned into, except there was 300 people there, like having drinks with me. Um, it, it, it really went that well. That's awesome. I mean, it's interesting too, from my perspective, because storytelling comedy, the st- kind of stuff that Jim Jeffries does or that Eddie Murphy did is the hardest form of comedy. And for you to get up and tell stories like that and get consistent laughs, that's not an easy thing to do for a comedian, let alone somebody that's just jumped up and gone, all right, I'm going to talk for two and a half hours and I haven't really put any thought into this. <laughs> right. Well, that, I mean, that shows you the strength of uh, the ridiculousness of my life over the past 40 years, let's say, uh, and the experiences I've had and the people I've met and the experiences I've shared with some of these lunatics. Um, it, yeah, they're just so inherently funny. And then most of the time it's me at the middle of the whole thing, uh, you know, uh, with shit in his pants, sometimes <laughs> literally. Um, it, it's, it's um, yeah, it, it's just really the strength of my experiences. And then, of course, look, I, I, I wasn't as good, like that first night up and then even six months or whenever it was later when I, I did a whole run of dates in the UK. So by the time I got to like show number seven, I, I, I was really starting to learn how to do it. I started to learn the physicality that went along with telling a story, using my body language, using the dynamics of my voice. Um, I, I really started to learn how to, pull all of these other uh, aspects of my personality and really, really the physicality of telling these stories. And once I got all of that involved, then it just, it was heads and shoulders even better than it was initially from when it was just me kind of on stage telling these stories that are funny. But now I've got, I'm adding dynamics to the show just in my voice uh, because I realized at some point I don't have a guitar. I don't have a band with me. But my, I, I certainly have a lot of dynamics that I could use uh, with my body and with my energy and with my voice that to help sell these stories. I realized, like, literally down to the syllables of words, how to get the most out of a sentence, you know, really how to wring every possible uh, ounce of humor out of, out of a word, even how to hit it the right way. And the only way to learn how to do that is, is by doing it. You know, so the more I did it, of course, the better I got at it. It makes sense. Anthrax is one of the few bands that has never released a shit album. Every album has been good. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, no worries. I appreciate it because I've got them all. So obviously you've mastered songwriting in that sense. You know, you were responsible really for the creation of a genre. You know, that's what sets Anthrax apart is I think it's more the riffs you don't play. How do I say it? Like... There's this tendency to overplay in metal, but Anthrax has never done that. Anthrax has always been what's going to be best for the song, and it's uh, you've taken that approach into your, your um I would call it stand up, but your um spoken word shows. No, I I agree. Look, I'll be the first one to admit I I'm not a joke writer. I'm friends with a lot of stand up comedians, and uh, to me, what they do, uh, it's funny what you said. The story storytelling comedy is the hardest because to me. I see what my stand-up friends do and I can't even imagine like these guys literally writing jokes to, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, to be able to get up on stage and do what they do and, uh, and then have to constantly come up with new material, except for maybe select bits that become like their greatest hits, so to speak. Um, I'm friends with a comedian named Patton Oswalt yep. and, um, he, 
yeah, I mean, people probably know he's he's an actor as well and a writer. And, but when he was mainly just doing stand up, even um, I, I I asked him at some point, you know, I said, "Is it weird for you when you do a bit over and over again, like because you know people in the audience have heard the joke before, they know it?" And he said, "Yeah." He goes, "I I, I get that." He goes, "But I liken it to a band having to play." one of their songs night after night. And then they come back a year later to the same city and they play that same song again. And they come back a year after that and they play that same song again. It's like Anthrax playing caught in the mosh at pretty much every single show since 1987. Um, you know, look, I don't get tired of playing that song and I, I get it. He's like, I don't get tired of, of doing this bit. I don't get tired of telling my Lemmy story. And I've got many Lemmy stories, but I've got one main one um, that, the fact that I even had this experience in my life in 1986 is so mind blowing to me that uh, I can't tell the story enough. Yeah. The fact that I can share this story with people is so exciting for me. I'll never get, I've told it a hundred times. I'll never get tired of telling this Lemmy story that I will be telling on, on the shows, you know, coming up in September and October. Sick. So uh, like I understood it from that point of view. Some of these bits will become like a greatest hit in a sense. Well, it's like um, Andrew Dice Clay. If I go and see him live, I want to hear Hickory Dickory Dark. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to hear that at the end. Exactly. <laughs> Even though you know it, you know it, you know it backwards and forwards, and you've heard it a thousand times. But when you're sitting in a room with the guy, and it's live, and you're in that 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 space and the energy that he's creating in that room, and that the audience is creating, it it, it doesn't matter if you've heard it a hundred times. It 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 feels new again in the moment. Do you find, I mean, you've written two books now, and do these shows detract from the writing of the books, or does it help, or how, how does that sort of work together? Well, the, the first book is the autobiography, so it's kind of really separate in a lot of ways, because, you know, that's, that's a pretty linear tale of, you know, I was born in Queens in 1963, and it ends at the Yankee Stadium Big Four show in 2011, so, and, you know, it's, it's just the linear story of my life, basically, which, of course, some bits and pieces of that have been a part of, of talking shows. Um, whereas the second book, Access All Areas, it's 23 stories. And, yeah, some of these stories, certainly the Lemmy story, the Dimebag story, these are stories that I tell in my live set. And, uh, um, but it's still so different writing them than it is to telling them. I would never get on stage and tell it word for word like I wrote it in the book. It would it would be boring. It wouldn't be the same story. The way I tell it is so different than the way I wrote it, and vice versa. Because when I first started, like let's say, writing this Lemmy story for the book, I just literally started transcribing it from one of my shows that I had recorded, and I'm writing it, and I'm like, this doesn't work. This isn't working at all. It's not. I, I need to fill in so much more detail when I was writing it than I actually do when I tell it. Because when you're writing it, in a sense, you have even less tools at your disposal. Because I don't have the dynamics of my voice when I'm writing it, and I don't have my body, the physicality of my body, that when I'm telling the story. All I have is punctuation and sometimes capital letters and and the strength of my writing. So you have to be so much more descriptive you know, uh, when you're writing it. So the written version is so different than the spoken version. Um, so in a sense, 
they're so different, yet at the same time, it all helps because, you know, it all keeps these things really at the front of my mind, uh, having worked on them and honed them uh, so much over the years, whether it's been writing it or, or telling it. Well, I guess it's the same as I can listen to Court Namosh on the album or I can come and watch you guys play it live. Technically, it's the same song, but it's a very different experience. Different animal, totally. If, if you listen the way we play Caught in the Mosh today, as compared to the recorded version, it's, it's different. The dynamics are different. The grooves are different. The song has evolved in so many little ways over, over 31 years. Sting once made uh, a comment ages ago in an interview, which I've, I've always thought about. And he explained how he feels like as musicians, we do things backwards. We spend six months or a year writing a record and then you go in and you record those songs and they're still so new. Then you go out and you play them the rest of your life. It's like, how about writing a song, go out and tour that song for 10 years and then go record it when that's like the best version of that song 10 years later. And I've always thought about that. Like that, we should experiment with that experiment with that at least with one song we should write a song and only play it live for like 10 years and then finally go record it and see how different it is from the time we first did it until the time we decided to record it because it's true all all of these things evolve over time when you're starting out you do have that time because you've got those years to to work the song and nut it out live but when you've got a schedule of okay we need the album next year you don't have that opportunity. Yeah, it's just, you know, and look, it's, I'm not saying that uh, when we make a record, we don't feel like, oh, this is, this is great. We love this album. We love these songs. It's just, uh, there is the philosophy of uh, taking those songs and then really just playing them for years. Um, I, I agree, because I feel like some of the versions of songs, the way we do them now are better than the recorded versions. Other people would probably argue saying no, the the purest version of, you know, that song on that record and you should never change anything and only play it exactly as recorded. But for me, that would be boring. Yeah, for sure. I've got to tell you this before you go. So I've got a funny story and it sort of involves you, but I know it doesn't involve you, but I'll explain what I mean. So in 2006, you filmed that TV show Supergroup with Jason Bonham, Sebastian Bach, Ted Nugent. Yes. And I'm from central Queensland in Australia, which is like Alabama. Uh And when my band started out, this guy claimed that he used to be in a band with you and the band was called Fist. You guys toured Europe and played Wacken. And even in 2006, it took me five minutes to find out this wasn't true, but... Right. No, definitely not true. (laughs) So I just wanted to confirm, for the record, can you confirm if Billy the Kid Tyndall from Central Queensland was ever in a band with you? (laughs) I can 100% confirm we were never in a band together. I thought for a second you were going to tell me like it was someone who worked on the show or something, but no, no. (laughs) Hey, good. Good, good on him for having the balls to to tell such a an amazing tale and like claim that that happened. <laughs> the band you created on the show, you only talked about calling it Fist for like five minutes. You're like, oh, that might be the name, and that was it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. For a second, it was like I, I think that might have been Evans, one of his ideas. I think he he said like Fist five coming together as one and. We're all, nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'll tell you what, I'm shocked because uh, I met this guy when he was cleaning out dive bars at 4 a.m. every morning, so I thought it was true. 
<laughs> uh, you know, maybe he needed to he needed to take his mind uh, off of the fact that he was cleaning dive bars at four in the morning. So he, you know, he created another life. <laughs> Fuck, man, I don't know. He's a sociopath. That's all I can say. Uh, yes. Hey, look, thanks so much for chatting to me, man. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you down under for these shows in September. Make sure anyone listening, check it out. It's going to be hilarious. And how long is it going to be till we see Anthrax again in Australia? I mean, it's been too long. So I'm, uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it's next year. Uh, we haven't been there yet on this Four All King tour. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. And uh, I, I would assume at some, some point in 19, we'll be there. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome chatting to you. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll have news when I'm there in a couple of months. Let's hope so. Can't promise anything, but I, I sure would like, I sure would like to, uh, I sure would like to have some news. Well, let's put the word out to all the Aussie promoters. Pull your finger out and fucking get Anthrax on board. Yeah, hell yeah.
back to another episode of Matter of Faction on the Faction Radio. Today's guest is Scott Moss, vocalist for Brisbane's legendary metal band Minus Life. They've been dormant for a few years and they're back ready to tear your faces off. So how you going, Scott? I'm good, Aiden. Thanks, mate. Man, when I first started playing in bands down in Brisbane, one of the first bands that blew my head off was Minus Life. And it's so good to see you guys finally back. I mean, how was the warm-up show at um, the Dead of Winter Festival? Uh, oh, we didn't play the Dead oh, of Winter. We, uh, that's all right. It was the same week, so I could see why you get confused. But we we played like a secret show at Chardon's Corner on a Thursday night just before Dead of Winter. I'm with you. Cool. And how'd that go? It was good. You know, um, surprisingly, there was only a couple of little minor blemishes that obviously only we noticed. But, um, you know, for 11 years as a, as a band together, playing for the first time really on stage, is, it was pretty damn good. And it was definitely a good thing to do because um, I suggested it to the guys and, you know, they were a bit apprehensive at first. 
and then they sort of came on board with the idea and then at the end of it we were all like we're glad we're glad we did it especially with how well this um, show's selling for this weekend yeah so the show's this weekend at Crowbar in Brisbane Saturday July 28th you can get tickets available they're all available through Oztix and there mustn't be many left at this point no mate it's 24 left and it's sold out awesome so it's going to be a sellout so get on board if you want to see it because you don't want to miss this how does it feel to be playing these songs again after a few years away from the band it's actually really good because we're playing in a lower tuning now so we've gone from c sharp down to b and it just sounds a lot more aggressive and a lot tougher like obviously we notice it a lot just like vocally you know it's it's more of a i think more of a mature and refined sound so the songs are still the same but they're just there's just a bit more uh they're just a bit more ballsier so it's kind of exciting you guys were doing a lot of big supports back in the day when i would first come down to brizzy for shows and songs like bodies on fire is a perfect example I heard it once, and then I was singing it for months and months and months. Like, the strength of the songs speaks for itself, and it's one of those songs that you can hear once, and then you hear it again, and all of a sudden you're singing along. And you've got a lot of songs like that. How was it for the people that were at the Secret Show to be back in that zone again? You know, it must have been killer. I wish I was there. Yeah, there was. Um, there, there were a few, because I invited a few close friends so they were really enjoying it. And one, um, he's in a band now, young Tim. Tim, um, he's an old friend of the band's son, and he was there when we started, you know, we're jamming and that when he was like six years old, and now he's playing in bands and he's 18, and he got to see us live for the first time. So he was like a kid in a candy store, and we only sort of notified a few people, but when the promoter turned up and knew it was us, a few people announced it. We let people announce it then, we ended under a different name and there was one guy in the crowd I noticed and he must have lived locally and he's he's seen it and come along because none of us knew who he was. He sang every word to every song of that set. That's brilliant. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously after the set I was buggered and went out and had a quick drink and that and then went out to say g'day and go, who is this guy? And he's already gone so he must have come just for the set. Hey, I heard that playing and then took off and I was like, who was that guy? It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good problem to have, people knowing all the yeah. lyrics to your songs. <laughs> Especially after 11 years. You guys started in 2002, right? Yep. Until 2007? Yep. And you did a fuckload of shows. I mean, I remember seeing you open for Nevermore. You played Metal for the Brain. Like, Was it just one of those instances where you all got sick of it, sick of each other, and had to take a bit of a break? Definitely um, being that young party life and thinking you're you know because we had interest from international labels at the time and there was a lot of there was a lot of hype around the band at the time and it just got to a point where you know it's the old cliche it was really musical differences i was getting into more heavier stuff the guys weren't getting into as heavier stuff and their direction was different and we were just clashing and then you know the egos sort of came to play when you're 20 and it just wasn't working out anymore as much as we tried the vibe had just sort of gone. And, you know, for many years, we sort of all just kept in contact. We had our own little projects here and there. And and then late last year, uh, Ryan and I got to go, and that's the guitarist, and we got together and had lunch. And then I flicked him a message. I said, dude, it'd just be cool to maybe even just write something together because I've never found that same feeling with another guitarist. And he said, no, no, let's just get Minus Life back together. I was like, done. So that was it. You know, I was hoping he'd say that, and when he did, it was kind of like, yes. And the vibe is so different now. You know, we're all in our 30s. Some of us have kids. I've got two daughters. You mellow out a lot more, and there's a different vibe. And, um, 
just enjoying yourselves. So what's the plan? I mean, are you going to continue playing shows? Uh, do you have any plans to re-record any of the songs in the current format? Yeah, well, we're actually tracking three of the old tracks from the old album because the old album actually now sounds more like a demo to you know, today's standards. I remember when it came out, people were like, oh, that's so good, and then you listen to it now, you go, ooh, it's so bad. But it's not horrible, but compared to the quality of music and how you record now, you know, especially um, with all this digital, you can just record at home. And we've got a guy down in Melbourne we're working with, and we're just tracking it all ourselves, and then we're sending it to him. He's going to reamp it, mix it, master it, and away we go. So we're doing three of the old songs, and then one song we had that we used to play live that we never recorded. So we're doing a four-track EP, and then uh, we've got three more shows booked in after this one, and then next year, and then we're going to go into hibernation. Then next year, it's um, the plan is to get the next full-length album out. That's awesome, man. And it's not a criticism, really. It's just the way it was at the time. Like, in order to get an album out as an independent metal band, you had to cut corners. And I, when I've started listening to the old songs again, you can hear that, okay, that was recorded in 2004. Yeah. It just is what it is. Like, my band's album came out in 2007, and it sounds like it was recorded in 2007. You know, we didn't have $10,000 to play with. I am glad to hear that you're going to be sort of reimagining these songs. I'm really interested to hear how they sound, like, you know, more matured and different tuning and everything. I think that's that's really interesting. Ryan and I spoke about it. I said, what's going to happen? He goes, well, I'm going to be playing the seven strings. He played it. I was like, oh, wow. Like, just that, the bottom end in the B toning rather than the C sharp. It's just so different. And, and he had to relearn a lot of the songs. And, you know, um, his first jam was horrible. You know, we all look like we should have t- taken walking frames in because we were horrible. We were stuffing up left, right, and centre. But there was no like back in the day, you'd get an- you know you get annoyed at those things, and now we're just laughing it off like, yeah, we're old, we're getting older. But it just and we have been jamming nonstop. Um, I think we started jamming in February, and we had a goal by July. I said because the guys like when when I said no, let's just set a date. Set a date, set a goal, and we have been working tireless, tirelessly on these songs for that whole time. And at that time, we've been slowly starting to write because uh, Ryan had some stuff there, and, and which really sort of worked with what, where we wanted to go. And we've already got about four or five working titles um, for the next album. That's awesome, dude. Well, for anyone that wasn't around for your first run as Minus Life, make sure you're there on the weekend. There's almost no tickets left, so you better get on it quick. Is there anything you'd like to say to anyone that never got the chance to see Minus Life and, you know, is ready for the rebirth, I guess? Just come out and enjoy it. Like, we, you know, the thing about the vibe at the moment in just the metal scene alone, I think there's something something good, like there's, there's good things happening and, and just feels like there's something in the air at the moment. Like, I don't know, it's just because we're coming back. And it's us, but there just feels like there's this excitement around the scene at the moment because there's so many things going on. So it doesn't matter whether you're supporting us or supporting the support bands because all three of them are amazing. Just get out and have fun. And we've got a special on. We, um, the, we're going to be doing the Black Tooth Grin drinks at um, the Crowbar. They've agreed to do it in honour of Vinnie Paul and, and Dimebag Daryl. So we're going to make a night of it. So you can just come out and enjoy yourselves and have a good time. Perfect. Get shit-faced and listen to Minus Life. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Oh, it brings back memories. I've done that many times myself. Man, look, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for chatting to me. Keep an eye out for Minus Life. They're going to be tearing it up yet again. 
Awesome. Thanks, Hayden. No worries, man. Good to chat to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Suck shit! Heavy metal rules!